This is your Planet News Briefing. I'm John Chu. And I'm Ralph Borgen. Our main story coming up is about how a recession could set the stage for a Green New Deal. We talk about a brief history of the original New Deal from the 1930s implemented by President Roosevelt, what our economy looks like today and in the future, and how this could allow the beginning of a Green New Deal. But first, a quick announcement about your Planet News headlines for this week. Whilst we normally provide the top climate headlines um, across politics, business, tech, and science, we will actually forego these for this episode, reason being. um, The news cycle has largely been related to the coronavirus, which not only have we covered in each of the past few episodes, but loads of reporters and outlets out there are currently covering that very well right now as well. All right, so that's that. Coming up, our main story, how a recession could set the stage for a Green New Deal. Right, so John, let's jump, let's jump into kind of the, the history of the original New Deal. Um, so the New Deal was a series of programs, public work projects, financial reforms, and regulations enacted by U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt in the states between 1933 and 1939. So it responded to the needs for relief, reform, and recovery and so some details around these, you know, the, the New Deal was responsible for some powerful and important accomplishments. It put people back to work. It saved capitalism, some people say. It restored faith in the American economic system. And while at the same time, uh, it revived a sense of hope in the American people. It was really like, it was really this, um, this catch uh, for the, the drop of the depression. And we've seen, you know, that was kind of one of the first major um, kind of catches by the government. And now we've seen this happening, you know, continuously, whether that's in the 2008, you know, uh, how that stimulus package came about. And, and now we're, we're seeing this happening again, right? There's one program that we should focus on in relation to, to this episode, which is the Public Works Administration. Exactly. So the, the Public Works uh, Administration, or PWA, was uh, between July 1933 and March 1939. And what it was, it was you know, funded and administered the construction of more than 34,000 projects, including airports, large electricity generating dams, major warships for the Navy and bridges, as well as 70% of the new schools and one third of the hospitals built in 1933 through uh, 1939. Sounds like a lot of carbon emissions, but we were, <laughs> but, but, you know, there's a balance there, right? Like this, this actually did trigger the growth of the economy at the expense of that probably unknowing at the time was uh jeopardizing sort of the economic uh the, the climate um environment yeah yeah and we'll get into that in detail for sure yeah so streets and streets and highways were the most common pwa projects right um over eleven thousand road projects or 33 percent of all pwa projects have gone to streets and highways so that accounted for over 15 percent of its total budget school buildings uh over 7k and all came in at second, 14% of spending. So wow. uh, what's interesting is we talked about multiplier effect in past episodes, in particular the climate and justice mm-hmm. one where um, the threat multiplier for folks in, in the margins. But uh, here, the multiplier effect, so the driving force of America's biggest construction effort to date, which is uh, that time, for every worker on a PWA project, almost two additional workers were employed indirectly. Amazing. Wow. So they, the PWA accomplished the electrification of Royal America. So this is something that obviously was way before our time, but uh, this was revolutionary. So the building of mm-hmm. canals, 
tunnels, bridges, highways, streets, sewage systems, and housing areas, as well as hospitals, schools, and universities. This was a huge part of our American history where it really boosted the economy and put us, you know, like I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of politicians saying America, the best country on earth, uh, which is still being said today, like literally no one cares outside of America about that. But mm -hmm. it's true. They, you know, this type of um, revolution in our recent history really has made America one of the most advanced or the most advanced country. The PW also electrified the Pennsylvania Railroad uh, between New York and Washington. That's huge. Um, at the local level, it built courthouses, schools, hospitals, other public facilities um, that yeah. frankly and remain in use. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of things um, kind of we've seen in, in the U.S. That, that were done due to this. I mean, one of the classic ones is the Hoover Dam. Yeah, you know, it's a, one of the, you know one of the largest dams in the U.S. Um, and that was built with, this, with these funds and, and during this time as well. But it's not all good, though, is it? Uh, some people have you know referred to the New Deal at the time uh, as a failure, uh, as it, it failed to protect the trust more than the American people. So today, you know, the poor are poorer, the trusts are richer. Um, another reason: this is a country that is controlled by the trust. So. Yeah, so this is the, the idea around you hiding, kind of hiding your money in a trust uh, and being able to pass that on without, you know, getting, uh, receiving the taxation from it. I like how you, when you said save capitalism earlier, you, you kind of said it with like air quotes, right? Like some, <laughs> some people think it, it, it did and are, it maybe arguably did, but, you know, there, there are some failures to it as well. Right, provided this trade-off um, and we can get into that and, and kind of the, the traffic lights. Definitely, it provided a lot of employment for people. Um, but talking about these kind of trust uh, scenarios, uh, we'll, we'll talk about more in terms of how that relates to 2008 as well. Yeah. Um, so, so what are some of the other things that, um, that the New Deal created that are still around today, John? Yeah, so I think this provides really good context. So mm -hmm. uh, while most of the New Deal programs actually ended as the U.S. entered World War II, a few still survive and still exist today. So FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, you know, that 250K insurance in the bank. <laughs> Federal National Mortgage Association, also known as Fannie Mae. So that was uh, that sprung up from this period or that program. You know, so basically Fannie Mae buys your mortgage uh, from the bank that sold it to you. National Labor Relations Board, so supervising uh, elections for labor union representation, for example. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. So, you know, they make sure stupid companies like WeWork <laughs> can't bullshit you when, when <laughs> they are publicly listed. Um, and also, you know, Social Security, whether we get that or not. Well, yeah, and, you know, and, and a good thing to point out about Social Security is that it was originally started because they wanted to assure elderly that they would be they would receive benefits in the future. So they would be able to spend their money now and not, you know, just hoard it and save it. Right. That was a big problem after the, the great depression where nobody wanted to spend any money. There's too yeah. afraid to spend money because they want to make sure they had cash under their mattress. Yeah. For the future. So all of these um, good programs came out from that new deal that still exists today that really, you know, governs many parts of our country. Okay. So that's, that is this kind of summary of the, of the new deal. Um, and this kind of, we'll be kind of referencing it going through this episode, but so where do we stand now? All right, we've just been hit by this coronavirus uh, pandemic, and this is probably, if not already, have has had a major impact on the economy. It is, you know, we do want to, it is frustrating to kind of talk about the economy only in, you know, in the sense of, of, of crisis. Um, obviously, 
we understand the health is the primary objective here and we need to make sure that is is figured out further but but we do we are specializing you know this podcast towards climate and the climate crisis um, and we believe you know through these effects uh, there would be a possible uh, effect on the climate crisis so we will focus on that for now yeah really good disclaimer so where do we stand john yeah so as you mentioned the sudden coronavirus related shutdowns around the world is it's absolutely hammering global supply and demand, um, forcing our global economy into a really sharp recession, basically instantly. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it felt like it happened like overnight two weeks ago, um, <laughs> triggering a massive financial crisis. So those out there, mutual funds, don't look at it. Don't look at your 401k. It's going to look really scary bad. But basically, the failing market is um, very much in feedback loop fashion, uh, which is always a bad thing. Um, when it comes to you know failing markets, uh, they are basically further threatening the economy as corporations are now finding it hard, harder to b- borrow, right? Um, and as the corporate debt market sour, major companies will go bankrupt, just not good. And, and as a result, um, unemployment sky- skyrocketing, uh, you know, three million people or so filed for uh, unemployment uh, recently in the U.S. That's yeah, and by far the most. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And, and the only point out is that, right, people are saying that, you know, this is just, just temporary, right? Once we go, once the economy starts up again, all those people who filed unemployment can get their jobs back. Um, but I don't think it's that simple, right? I mean, I think oh people God. will start start cutting down a bit. And then also, like you said, because it's be harder to borrow um, and because people have been out, companies have been out of, of receiving income for so long, uh, they're gonna have to cut back and they, they might actually have to to go bankrupt because they're so levered up with debt, uh, and that, that will just mean, you know, keep that unemployment uh, number yeah. number high. What a way to start the decade, right? I mean, we're only yeah, we're, we're about true. to end the second quarter of 2020, and you know, some analysts are already expecting that the economy will will basically contract by an annualized rate of 30 percent. And this is massive. This is yeah. it, it, this this is actually unprecedented, right? If you think about at least in in our lifetime, this is beyond the 2008 recession already. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, the U.S. financial markets are already on public life support, as we are basically implying. Mm-hmm. Federal Reserve have committed to unlimited purchase of all sorts of assets, including U.S. Treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, car loans, municipal debts, and basically in a really historic step, both short-term and long-term corporate debt. But you know, this is because the crisis will require more than a financial rescue and let's talk about the debt really quickly here i mean this gets starts to get a little bit more technical but uh it helps provide an understanding of of kind of where firms stood uh before going into this into this issue so you know over the last two decades so corporate america's credit rating uh, and and just as a disclaimer as well we will specialize a little bit more on the u.s at the moment just because we have more of the details and numbers around it but it is it is a relevant reflection for for other Western areas, specifically Europe, right? I mean, we saw that whatever happened in 2008 in the U.S. was really heavily reflected in, in the Eurozone as well. So basically, in the early 90s, um, more than 60 companies held AAA credit ratings. Uh, so that means, you know, it's the best the best they can be. It means that there's, there's people are very sure that that these companies will be able to pay it back their loans. So today, only two U.S. firms are AAA rated. This is Johnson and Johnson, uh, you know, making all of our, our consumer products, diapers, etc. And Microsoft, you know them. Uh, in 2001, fewer than one in five investment grade firms, 
So this is rated uh, triple B. So today, uh, half of all investment grade corporate debt belongs to firms rated triple B or lower. And a third of these firms are rated triple B minus, one notch away from this, uh, this rating called speculative or junk bond status. So yeah, this is just a showing of how, how these companies have degraded in the ability to pay back their loans. Uh, and, and these are just ratings that are given stating that um, lenders think that they'll be able to, to pay back their loans. But you know, having a third of these firms rated at triple B minus and, and one notch away from being junk or speculative means you know, there's a, there's a case that they might not be able to pay this back. Uh, total global corporate debt, including bonds and loans, approximately $66 trillion. That's more than doubled than it was a, um, a decade ago. So for comparison, the combined gross national product of all economies was estimated to be $80, $80 trillion in 2017. So that's about a quarter of, um, about a quarter of that is the U.S. economy. So that's a, good, that's a good point, talking about how we just talked about the status of the, the, of the debt. And it's, you know, that status is for a quarter of all of the, all of the product. Yeah. 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 You and I are both fans. Well, I think you're a bigger fan of Chamath Palahapatiya than I am. I originally didn't like him because, well, the same reason why a lot of people don't, may not like him because he's just kind of arrogant, but. Yeah. I would, I would admit he's arrogant, outspoken, but uh, he has some good ideas. But he's, he's just, just for context, he is an investor, well-known Silicon Valley and other parts of business. Um, he's very influential and a very rich guy. I think he's still in his thirties, but anyways, he's, he's also a, a famous blackjack player and poker player on, on ESPN and so forth. But uh, yeah, you and I listened to a podcast recently by Kara Special Rico Dico, and he was a guest mm-hmm. and he broke it down really nicely in terms of where we're at today. He basically said, uh, take the Great Depression or any recession uh, for any month when you're in the drawn down phase, the part of going down, um, which is what that is, it takes two to three months to get back up. So if it takes nine months to sort itself out, for example, and we're in month one, um, it could be eight more months. So it could take 27 total months to get out. Uh, so unless you're, you know, startups and so forth are giving, you know, themselves 36 months of runway, they're basically putting themselves in a position where they'll be at the behest of the price maker. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this, what this means is that he's just, he has a strong feeling that, you know, companies need to be able to, uh, essentially be able to, to, to run on their own revenues, uh, without, you know, having to pay too much back in debt or having to just burn, uh, you know, venture capital money for 36 months, uh, before, you know, this can start getting pushed further. So, I mean, we talk about all of this, um, and, and the, and the importance of, of showing that this is going to be a longer, uh, situation than a lot of people think might think, oh right. God. A lot of people might think that, it will bounce back and that as soon as we can go back to work, that the economy will just start, you know, working again. Uh, I think it's important to labor that this is going to, this is going to drag on uh, more longer than we, than people are anticipating. (laughs) Well, I guess it's completely contrary to what, you know, Donald Trump is saying, you know, by Easter, he wants to get America back, back in, you know, in business and so forth. That's just kind of, yeah. And I mean, it, it is pretty ridiculous. I mean, there will probably be a caste system of, people who have been tested with antibodies that, uh, that won't, you know, can't spread versus those who have not been tested yet. So those who have been tested and, and can go back to work, 
uh, we'll be able to work, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is going to be a weird uh, kind of dystopian world we're going to go into going forward here. But even if that happens, like not everybody's going to be back, going back to work, are they? Um, and it's going to be a slow, slow move. So yeah, people can get back to work by, by these times perhaps, but it doesn't mean the, the, the point here is it doesn't mean the economy goes back to where it was. Um, so, I mean, the government is obviously putting in a lot of uh, financial uh, incentives here. Um, but we believe also that, you know, they probably will, will need to start helping out with a lot of the kind of like public work type um, initiatives that were happened during the, the, the original New Deal. Additionally, I mean, they're going to be owning this $2 trillion uh, that the U.S. government is putting in. They're going to be owning a ton of debt underlying a lot of these a lot of these companies, right? They're, they're going to basically own the airlines now. They're going to be all these bailouts to airlines. They're going to have a huge stake in owning airlines. They're going to do a lot of things that, that shows that they, they have a lot of, of impact over, over corporations. And so to get the company, company going again, um, I mean, personally, I believe that they're going to try to start doing some of these, these infrastructure initiatives, right, to get more people employed and get the, uh, the economy growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, when we listened to Rico Tico, Chamab did talk about this a little bit as well, and how mm-hmm. the government is going to have underlying stake in, in this, which which I think is, is such an interesting thing to start to think about, because as you said, it's true, they're, they're going to be bailing out airlines and so forth, and they're going to start to have a stake in it's, you know, are we, are we ancient tourists, a socialism type of environment here, right? But by the way, do you think Chamab would be a guest on our show? <laughs> yeah of course All right. hey, of course well, yeah i mean once we start let's let's get into the climate bit here but i mean yeah once once there starts becoming a a green new deal in the states uh, i'm sure he would love to love to talk about it in that in that respect <laughs> let's let's get into it then so what do we have here so yeah what so we talked about kind of we believe you know infrastructure can help um you know improving transport facilities could make workers more mobile making labor markets more efficient, increasing productivity, uh, you know, reliable infrastructure uh, to connect supply chains and efficiently move goods and services across borders. Infrastructure connects households across metropolitan areas to higher quality opportunities for employment, healthcare, education, clean energy, and public transit can reduce greenhouse gases. Um, you know, this, these results in, so even, even showing that deteriorating infrastructure, what we have, what we have now in the United States, um, is a you know, huge public safety issue, um, has a cascading impact on the nation's economy even, so negatively affecting business productivity, gross domestic product, unemployment, personal income, and international competitiveness. So there's, there's definitely a need for this around increased infrastructure. It will help create jobs. It will help uh, you know, increase the efficiency in the, in the, in the economy. But you know, if, the, if the United States were to do this right now, this, I mean, let's get back to the climate crisis here, how do we think they would do it? We we 100% think, at least I do, that they're going to do it with, you know, building out renewable energy infrastructure, um, just because this has become a kind of an echoing concept within U.S. politics, um, and it becomes a really uh, understandable scenario when we we break it down uh, by you know this report, for example, by given by Stanford. Yeah. So what what how, what what episode is this, John? And um, or yeah. some things we covered here I, in that episode. Completely agree. And, and, and 
visit our podcast episode, Renewable Energy 101, and where we go into the details of green initiatives like better renewable energy, electric grids, and transportation. Um, so in that episode, we talked about uh, Stanford researchers' uh, study recently that outlined 143 countries around the world uh, that can switch to 100% clean energy by 2050. Um, so that's only about 30 years away now. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the plan will basically require a hefty investment of about, around you know, $73 trillion. Uh, the researchers' explanation, uh, calculations show that the jobs and savings that they would earn would pay this back in as little as seven years. The, the cost for the U.S. is about $7.8 trillion, and that of Europe, all of Europe is only about six, well, not only, but it's $6.2 trillion. Uh, no, that's a good point. We just, I mean, the U.S. just dropped $2 trillion. Exactly. This is super easily and and this would be you know 7.8 over over a period of time it wouldn't be you know this this immediate drop that they just did for two exactly and in that episode which again go check it out because we talk about this in much greater detail than we're going to do now but uh here's basically how it's going to work how it could work plan would involve transitioning all of our energy sectors including electricity transport industry agriculture fishing forestry and even the military to work entirely with renewable energy building the infrastructure necessary for this transition would of course create some co2 emissions but the researchers calculated that the necessary steel and concrete would require about this is going to get technical but require about 0.914 percent of current co2 emissions but switching to renewables to produce the concrete would actually reduce this so i think that's a good point right obviously this infrastructure building out infrastructure like this would would you know require co2 emissions um, however, it's it's a bit of a a debt uh, that that gets paid off uh, after these renewables are set up, right? I mean, if we if you look at this, if you watch this pod or listen to this podcast, um, we definitely really encourage you to listen to it to get into the details. A lot of it is around windmills, windmills, solar, um, and, and some others, and and yeah, that takes a lot to build those. But this it shows that you know it's only it's only 09 percent of current emissions, um, and again, this is a debt that would be you know, heavily reduced by, you know, th- those renewables being set up going forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these technologies are already available, right? And they're mm-hmm. reliable and pretty much respond much faster th- in some cases than natural gas. And and they're cheaper. That's already, that's the main point. Um, and, yeah. you know, th- th- a plan like this would create you know, over 28 million more full-time jobs in the long run than the current state of things. Right. And that's, and that's a huge point here, right? This is obviously... The government will be looking for initiatives around job creation, um, around economic growth. If you're building this type of infrastructure, you're you're putting a ton of money into, uh, you know, whoever whoever supplies the the steel for the windmills, whoever supplying the uh, technology for the the solar panels, whoever is uh, you know going through and and actually rerouting the electric grids. Uh, those are a huge amount of jobs being created. A huge amount of um, you know, economic multiplying being created, right? That would be similar to the the new De- New Deal PWA, where it was you know what like three to one, you know, jobs created versus uh, created by the PWA. So so definitely a positive, 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 positive yeah. here. Before we get to traffic lights, let's do one more plug to one of my favorite episodes, which is basically you know, Renewable Energy 101. So for more details on what the makeup of infrastructure could look like, i.e., wind, solar or something else, um, mm-hmm. you know, check out our episode of Renewable Energy 101. It's definitely a fan favorite as well. We have a lot of listens for that one. It's one of my favorites. I think it's one of yours as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's the plan. Let's, uh, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Ralph, uh, traffic lights, what do you have? Yeah, so for me, red is, you know, obviously the situation we cannot, uh, you know, labor it enough around, you know, the health, the healthcare system, and that needs to be the, the first focus. Um, I think before the government looks at um, a, a Green New Deal, they need to look at how, the, how they sort out all this testing and how they're going to get people back, back into the economy. Um, I think there's some interesting thoughts around um, how you look at uh, antibodies and, and, and make sure people have been, you know, either have been exposed without, without symptoms and, and allow them, you know, to get back into the workforce and, and how you get that going and how, how you reduce the, the effect on the healthcare system. But yellow is, you know, this, this does seem like a, a useful plan, you know, but I'm afraid that, that there would be mainly just, just financial incentives and maybe not enough initiative in terms of, you know, how, where to build out uh, different renewables and how to, how to kind of progress the, the change of the electric grid. Um, you know, this is what we saw in, in the 2008, you know, recession was, there wasn't really any initiative to change the system. It was only about just pumping money into it so that it could come back to life, right? I mean, then nobody really did much about changing the banks. They did maybe they did like Dodd Frank stuff did like a little bit of a little bit more oversight. But what happened was they just gave everybody a ton of money, and then the people who who held equity took that money and did you know. So talk about corporations. So a company like uh, FedEx or something this one's gotten heat for it. They got a lot of. They're able to get a lot of. Uh, uh, tax cuts and and essentially uh, take loans on, on low interest instead of essentially paying that in terms of increased labor labor for their employees or putting it into investments this is the you know the trickle down effect you're supposed to, if you cut rates like the fed has been doing if you buy back bonds and and so that companies have more cash what they'll do that with that cash is pay their employees more or they will do new you know build new projects and and, and stimulate the economy by creating new projects, which then create more jobs for, for other people. But a lot, of, a lot of what happened we saw in, the two, in 2008 was what these companies did with that extra money was just buy back shares. Um, and that's fine in terms of paying your, you know, that they're just paying their, that, that money towards investors. But the problem is that most of their employees or most of, you know, most people don't actually hold that equity. So they didn't actually see that rise in, mm-hmm. in in that money, so they never realize any of that any of that money. So that's something to watch out for. Um, definitely big yellow. Green for me um, is that there is already a plan around this. I mean, the Green New Deal is literally the a plan that has been proposed um, in the U.S. government, and this Stanford report is is you know the report looking at how it could possibly be done. Uh, you know, they believe that it's possible, and it's. And even if it's not that specific um, legislation uh, created the, the Green New Deal, uh, there's it's amazing to see that there's actual like political backing and and understanding of how impactful doing you know increasing renewables and increase you know making a better electric grid around around the U.S. would would help with you know with environment with jobs. Um, you know R- Mitt Romney even even has has stated this is a you know, really important concept going forward. And, and so now that it's a, a concept floating around during this time of, of crisis, maybe it'll be picked up. And that's really positive. Yeah. Well, first of all, really set of uh, really good set of traffic lights. I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. So my red, uh, I mentioned this already, those on the margins will be hit hardest. So mm-hmm. 
just a, just a plug to our climate and justice episode. Um, so basically the whole climate threat multiplier thing as it, as the case with what's going on with this recession, uh, those in the margins will be hit extra hard and, uh, you know, you kind of multiply that on top of climate change as well. It, it's, that's, this is, this is a huge risk. not, not to anyone's fault, not even, you know, obviously not, not even China's fault. It, it, it kind of, you know, this start from there, but you, there, there's no blame here. I'm just saying that's, this is an unfortunate situation to be in. So my yellow is, Hey, government to the rescue again. This is good. Uh, you know, they, they have done it before. It has worked, arguably. But let's face it, it's, it's a yellow because it's, you know, in the past, creating more money, more debt, and in this case, possibly enacting the Defense Production Act, which, you know, makes the Banana Republic's Tommy Hilfiger's forward of the world is basically creating, you know, uh, health um, mm-hmm. mass and so forth and, and, and things like that. And one thing that we're hearing a lot about again now is the Patriot Act. So mm-hmm. this happened in 2004 or so? Or yeah, after 9-11. Yeah, so probably earlier than that. But it basically gave the government an ability to tap into phone lines and tap into citizens' um, you know, privacies and so forth. So there's been some chatter about the Patriot Act possibly coming, you know, being, you know, being used here so that the Facebooks of the world can monitor movement of mm-hmm. people who are infected and so forth as a way to, to kind of respond to the coronavirus outbreak and spread. Um, so, but, you know, it's a yellow because uh, obviously 9-11 style erosion of civil liberties um, mm-hmm. makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. Yeah, right. And, it, you know, I, I mentioned the word socialism earlier and I, I kind of do mean it, you know, like they're, you know, kind of giving the government this much control and uh, liberty be it for a, a good reason um, in theory, right? They'll you know, use it to kind of, to curb the coronavirus, but there's some dangers to that, hence yellow. My green is conveniently Green New Deal. So <laughs> what an opportunity uh, that uh, to, to make the Green New Deal real. Um, let's face it, Trump has always been hedging on a booming economy to win a second term. Uh, that is very much at risk in my mind, and that could lead the way for a democratic administration soon and presumably they will be favoring the green new deal and all of its potential on the climate so that to me is a huge green i think that uh that's I, in my opinion this is going to happen um and it's going to do it's going to bring all the glories from the green new deal um yeah crazy cool so um one last plug you know to get more involved go check out yesyourimpact.com um or follow us on instagram at uh, your planet news briefing so yeah, thanks for listening. And again, check out the um, uh, Renewables 101 as well. Excellent. Good episode.